listening to the Carrero Podcast. I am Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today, our guest is Raquel Devine. Raquel is the Programs Director at Agolita Marine Research, Education South Pacific Trust, based in Iotiora, New Zealand. Raquel is a passionate outdoors woman, intertwining her love for recreation and the outdoors with her career, specializing in environmental education. You can find her at the website at algalita.org slash south-pacific. Algalita is spelled A-L-G-A-L-I-T-A. You can also find her on Facebook, Algalita South Pacific, and Instagram at Algalita South Pacific. Hi, Raquel. Thanks so much for joining us today. And obviously, you are very interested in the sciences if you're studying environmental sustainability and outdoor education, um, what drew you to this area of study? Um, that's a good question, actually, because I was more drawn to my area of study because I wanted to be an outdoor educator. Um, I had some pretty awesome experiences myself, and I was passionate about wanting to continue to share those um, through an educator's perspective. Um, And when I was looking for my potential tertiary studies, I came across uh, the course that I did that uh, uh, also intertwined environmental sustainability into it. And at the time I knew vaguely about environmental issues and that I wanted to do something about them, but... um, yeah, it was sort of a fluke just finding it, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I know. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so just to let our, um, our audience members know, once again, you're, you're based in, in New Zealand. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about the general attitude uh, or the philosophy towards Towards the towards the environment there, um, towards sustainability, towards climate change. Yeah, sure. Um, I think in general we have a pretty good uh, concept of appreciation for our environment um, and wanting to preserve it. Um, our Indigenous people, the Māori, they have a concept of kaitiakitanga, uh, interact with uh, the natural environment. Um, and it's, it's, the concept is essential guardianship and that you protect and preserve everything for your coming generations, um, which is essentially what sustainability is. So that that is really strongly embedded um, from the Indigenous cultures um, but also I think that a lot of our um, immigrants from, you know, generations ago when we first all immigrated here, all of our ancestors were put into this very rugged environment that they just had to make work. And so for for as long as um, you know, uh, we've existed in Aotearoa. We <laughs> um, 
we've had to work with the environment to ensure that it can help sustain us. Uh, so it's always been a big part, uh, and we see that reflected in you know um, a a national survey indicates that over over half of our youth, it's important to them what kind of environmental policies are being um, put out by our government in terms of what their voting will be, um, waste, climate change and environmental sustainability are all really high on issues that they are concerned about. Um, so, yeah, and it's it just seems pretty clear that it's a big part of who we are maybe being from an island as well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 because, you know, possibly because everything just stays there. Um, and so, you know, whereas whereas in the United States, we um, there are pockets of, 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 of people that really take a very uh, vast interest in the environment, but it's, but it's not, it's really not looked upon as one of those things as what you were saying. Um, it, it's, it's not at the national stage. Um, and I, and I think that that was one of the things that I noticed when I traveled there was just that there's a, there's a nationwide interest that's actually part of your, part of your policy, part of the, part of the education policy, which I found very fascinating. Um, so can you, can you tell us how, how you became in, in, involved in microplastics? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so through my studies, uh, I became more exposed to, um, environmental issues. And in particular, I was, I was interested in marine conservation issues. And we touched a little bit on pollution, um, particularly plastic pollution, but we didn't go too heavily into it, but it did. It definitely caught my attention. And uh, for our research in our final year um, for the bachelors, I chose to direct mine towards plastic pollution um, in our local area. So I started reading papers and diving into that. And yeah, I started to learn all about these different terminologies and <laughs> just diving very deep into the rabbit hole. Um, and so that was my, that was really my first exposure to it. Um, I set up a quantitative study of our coastline and I went out and I started looking and I, I think it was really surprising for me to realise that here in clean, green New Zealand, uh, we, yeah, our beaches were still littered with microplastics. Um, so it really sparked quite a big um, interest in me and a desire to try and work towards that not being a reality anymore. Am I engaged later? And yeah, just keeps on going. <laughs> can, can you talk a little bit about your work and like what you're doing to reduce the microplastics uh, that exist? Sure. Yep. Um, so I guess 
fully focus on of addressing it. Um, our research was, you know, first um, started with Captain Charles Moore, who established the first uh, ocean plastics monitoring program for um, the North Pacific initially um, and looking at microplastics, um, which has now been extended throughout all of our oceans and it helps to quantify the microplastics on the surface, um, which really led up quite a big part of this awakening into the plastics movement. And so we recognised through doing that research, uh, you know, for years now, how important the research is from a point of view of the, you know, the quantitative numbers, the the papers, they allow to inform policy and, and can help with big changes. But in order for there to really see change, um, it's about being able to communicate that and translate what we're finding to the everyday people. And so um, with Marcus Erickson, actually, he, from Five Jazz, he came on to our leader early on and he started to build our education program. Um, and so that was built up and, yeah, now we now we really sit quite strongly in that space of um, education and, and that's much more what my background is in, um, though I've been lucky to work in the research side of it as well. But, yeah, what we try and do is use that research and be at the forefront to really understand the issues and collaborate now with all the other amazing groups worldwide that are working to understand this. Um, because essentially trying to um, stop the problem is is very complex and so we need a, a big yeah. multifaceted approach. Mm-hmm. So we're focusing to try and educate the youth the potential future leaders um, and innovators and designers. I love that. And general public. Yeah. Yeah. We had a guest um, from Agalita from the Long Beach one um, back in, man, like November, Annika Ballant. So how long have you been involved with Agalita? Uh, so I first um, got on for 2015. Um, this was initially just a, a voluntary position um, from like through the education. And then in 2016, I got the call up to come on board with them. It was only supposed to be for a month at first. Um, but then I was like, well, I have to quit my job anyway. So if you need a hand for um, any more of the voyage, let me know. And it ended up being six months, which has turned into what? Four years now. Basically. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Working alongside them. Yes. <laughs> um, so that was initially with working with them out of the States. And in 2018, I returned home and uh, started a sub-chapter in Aotearoa to continue their work here. Yeah. So can you can you tell us about that? Um you know, can you tell us about some of the programs that you do, the the educational types of programs and outreach that you 
that you do in schools? Yeah, sure. So um, we've just been launching, really, so just in the last couple of years. So we're really just finding our feet. Um, but a big part of our focus has been to try and um, engage our youth and community around microplastics. Um, so we do um, practical um, we've been doing field trips with sea surface monitoring, um, but also beach surface sampling and to focus and look at what microplastics are and learn about their presence in our environment. Um, specifically the local areas. Uh, we also do uh, in-school workshops, um, which are a bit more tailored to whatever the teachers need or where the students are at, because we do have some standards, national standards that focus on environmental issues. And so more commonly, we're finding that teachers are using plastic pollution as a lens. And so mm. um, we often come in and work with them on whatever they're looking at. Um, and also we're, we're just starting the experience ship, which is um, a program that they offer in the States, um, but it's for older, you know, tertiary or 18 plus um, to really dive deep into the issue and potential solutions. Uh, so that's the majority of our work. Um, mostly, yeah. Interesting. And that's, that's really cool that you partner with teachers and schools uh, with the environmental curriculum um, I think it feels like there's becoming more awareness of the pollution, the plastic pollution, especially perhaps you can speak to maybe, um, your experience during your time working with microplastics, if you've seen a change in people's attitudes towards it during that time. Yeah, massively, massively. Um, and in such a short period of time as well, yeah. um, I think that we're we're seeing, you know, it's much more topical. It's so much more present in all of our media channels. Um, the people around me are a lot more aware, you know, when mm. even just my friends um, in the beginning when I would say that I was working on plastic pollution, they sort of didn't really understand um, and it was very much it was just an aesthetic issue um, or maybe that it, uh, you know, entangled some turtles or some some marine life, um, which is all a big problem. But, but now I think people's understanding more into the depth of it and I feel that those that are, that are interested or concerned, you know, they, they know that, it's a social issue. It's a um, health issue. It's so much more than just an aesthetic issue. And, and so that's really positive. There's still a lot of work to be done. But I think even just from our government, you know, our, our prime minister commissioned her chief science advisor to do a complete um, deep dive into plastics in New Zealand. And so they spent the last year 
producing a report that's called Rethinking Plastics. Wow. That's looking at everything from, you know, what are we importing? Why are we importing it? How mm. is it coming in here? What are we doing with it? What does our packaging look like? What does the processes around it look like? How are we documenting waste when it's going to landfill or how are we not? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we know what's escaping into our environment and what's it doing and what are we doing about it? Um, and I think that's huge, you know, for yeah. it to be, it's a really um, thorough and um, important uh, information, but for it to be commissioned by our government, it, mm-hmm. it really shows that that's what um, is important to our people because I think having our current government, um, you know, she's she's very aware of what the people want and that's what she wants to work towards. Yeah. His attention to the what they say, <laughs> essentially. Now, has that report come out or they're working on that report currently? Yeah, no, it's out. It's called Rethinking Plastics. Okay. Yeah. It's very easy to find online. I love that. I want to check it out. Yeah, as we're, as we're both typing it in. Yeah. You're just <laughs> writing it down is. for future lookup. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it seems like your prime minister is just really, um, like she's got a really good pulse on like what her people want and... I, I kind of like that about her. <laughs> One of the things that, that you were talking about uh, was kind of the future. Where do you, uh, I, I guess this is a two-part question. Where do you see New Zealand in, in five years with regards to microplastics, ocean plastics, and where do you see the um, world with regards to it? Ooh, that is a big question. Um, I'm going to speak from a utopian view <laughs> we like that well, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that locally I can speak to that I'm you know we're seeing a shift in in systems thinking um, we're transitioning from it's a seen as it being the individual's responsibility to um, you know, reduce their waste and can deal with their waste to being addressed from a systems perspective of, okay, how can how and what do we need to change? Um, and I think in, even in the short space of time of five years, I think here at home, um, we're going to see changes with product stewardship, so extended producer responsibility being more strongly implemented. Um, particularly around plastic liquid containers, you know, so because they're they're one that is relatively easy to address but is also one of the highest polluters. So I think that through that we're going to, with that product stewardship, with that change in systems, it's going to make it much more achievable for the country as a whole to start to limit what's being lost to the environment. Um, in terms of, you know, clean out that's not even on people's, um, well, it's very much on people's at the forefront of their mindset, but it's it's moving away from understanding that we can clean it up. We have to address it. 
higher up. And I think that's also where the international movement is going and where we'll see more changes is um, countries trying to address it from that, you know, turning the tap off uh, rather than trying to clean it up. And in the pipeline, I think we're seeing some some really interesting pieces of global legislation and some more some more commitments that are going to force that hand. Uh, but I also think that we're just going to continue to see this, this rise of individuals taking change into their own hands because the awareness is building and they're going to start pushing for, and it, you know, it'll be through some people will continue to create really awesome initiatives and changes in technology and moving away from plastics as a single use product and only using it whereas it's necessary and really valuable. Um, and we'll see more people being um, empowered to use, you know, reuse and, and refill um, again to cut down on their waste. Yeah. So yeah. Like the individual gonna- can only do so much. And I know like I, if when presented with a, a product, if it's in, you know, a cardboard box versus a plastic container, I opt for the paper because I am thinking about the recyclability of that. Um, but like as an individual, I have this, this very small impact. And so I think you're so right that we do need to address it from our larger scale because there are just some things that you can't get that, you know, that aren't covered in plastic. And I am very much more aware of this probably from listening to Annika talk when we had her on the podcast so many months ago. Like I think her talk about microplastics was just incredibly impactful to me. And it's, um, I mean, it's baby steps, but I I agree with you when you said that um, the change in attitude has happened pretty quickly. I would even say within the last couple of years, we're seeing paper straws now and, you know, even, you know, cups that aren't um, plastic and things like that. So we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, Yeah, but small, small steps. Yeah, that's, you know, and and you're, and you're in a pretty unique um, situation where you're, where you're, you want to work yourself out of a job, (laughs) Um, you know, and that's, I think that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, What are the, what are the kids reactions you know when you're when you're working with kids when you're working with you know elementary high school students what are what are their re- reactions and what do you think their their impact is it's really important to find that balance when you're working with them of making sure that they don't just see this as another environmental problem that's too big for them to do anything about mm-hmm because you really see that overwhelm. You know, they, they're learning about climate change, they're learning natural issues, they're learning about um, plastic pollution, they're learning about deforestation, like <laughs> all of these issues that are intertwined. And, yeah, you, I very, very often see this overwhelm. Um, but what I also see is is so often matching that overwhelm is there's like a spark of ingenious 
you know, like yeah, <laughs> they they ask questions that you haven't even thought of or you think, yeah, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, that question deserves to be answered. And so what I think we're seeing is we're seeing them finding their voice. Um, we're seeing them, you know, they feel that they can do something about it because it's changing times and we have, you know, there's is people like Greta Thunberg and, um, you know, many that came before her, but as the times change, they're starting to find their voice. And here in New Zealand, we have some really awesome role model, student role models as well. And they're learning that even if that voice is only being found between their friends or in their family and they go home so commonly, we hear like from their parents saying like, we don't have an option anymore, you know. Like, <laughs> we're having to make these changes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's just starting to be a change in the general psyche and that's what's going to continue to flow through in generations to come. Um, so it will reflect in how we do business and, you know, the types of technology that we utilise and the policies that we implement and our leadership and everything. Yeah, and I think you're right about that. Kids nowadays have more of a voice than they did even 10 years ago because of technology. So as many um, negative things that can come with technology, at least in this way, they feel like they can have some power and some voice and you know, look for resources and try to make an impact and make a change because you know, we are seeing kids do that. So it's mm. very empowering. Yeah, Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even here in New Zealand, um, I was I, sorry, I was going to say this before, but I really, I think it's awesome. I really like this that, you know, Jacinda Ardern, she talks to the Rethinking Plastics mm-hmm. report and she said, um, one of the things that I did not expect about this job was the amount of letters that I get. Hmm. The amount of letters that I get from children and from youth and them asking me to do something about something and she said so many of those letters that I have been getting are about plastic pollution and the issues that that causes and she's like so that's what you know encouraged me it pushed me to respond because I just was getting them daily and I think that's really powerful because like we've been petitioning for so long you know this movement even longer than I've even <laughs> sort of been able to write mm-hmm. <laughs> has been petitioning, but we're, there's so many different changes that have happened. But in particular, you know, hearing that it was the voices of the youth that yeah. really is what tipped our government over the edge to start looking into it is, I think it's huge. It's really powerful. That is. Yeah. And that's actually just really powerful from a child standpoint to think, my letter made it to her desk. She read it and she responded in a huge way, not in just like, I'll look into it and send, you know, some like stamped letter back, but like really put some action into it. And that, that is the power of their voice. And so that's, that's really cool that, that she put some, some action into that. I love that. Yeah. So, so how has this, um, 
How has your your position changed since um, COVID? In my role? Yeah, yeah. Has it has it changed? My job or yeah. Um, our work that we do is mostly like visiting, going into schools, and running community events and things like that. Um, and so, have been able to do any of that. So um, that you know, there's a big part of my work is behind a screen, just from the administrative perspective. But now majority of it is behind the screen. So um, as our as our country has sort of transitioned through, we had a level process, like a level alert level process of like what it meant for the controls that were in place of what we were allowed to do. Um, and obviously initially we we're in full lockdown and so that was like no schools, um, you know, stay in your bubble, only like very few people, you're not allowed to go out, you can't go to the beach, like you can go to the supermarket, but, you know, same as most countries. And as we sort of transitioned out of that, we're now back into a space where um, schools, are, schools are back up and running, um, but there's still no community gatherings. You can go to the beach, um, but really it's still quite restricted. So schools aren't having visitors, you know, they're not having us come back in. Um, And um, yeah, we can't, we can't get out to sites to do research. We can't um, bring our volunteers together to continue our project. So we've just transitioned to adjust basically. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, for example, the experience ship, which is going to be all online or, oh. um, yeah, which we have yeah. been working hard at developing. So, Can you talk a little yeah. bit about the experience ship? Yeah. I think um, we were reading about it on the website, but I want to, I want to hear it in your words and how, how you're planning to move that into a virtual yeah, that along with um, how can how can teachers and, and and students from from throughout the world um, partner up with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the experience ship um, is very cool. So um, when uh, yeah, like prior before COVID, um, it used to be a in person experience. Um, essentially, it's an internship, but. Um, we wanted more of the focus to be on people having the experience and learning from the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so they, it was about them coming in, in California, um, engaging in the research that we do, the work that we do, getting involved and working together to create a project um, that addresses the issue. So, for example, they've developed um, past experience ship groups have developed um, like a plastic smart playbook for schools. So schools that can pick it up and if they want to enact change in their school environment as a how-to guide, essentially. Wow, that's cool. Um, yeah, it is. It's really cool. Um, another group, they created a, uh, a kayak trawl. So they built a surface trawl that can be towed behind a kayak that gets used um, in the Long Beach Marina by the sit-on-top mm-hmm. kayak group there. And oh, so some fun. little projects like that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. 
So we didn't want to, we didn't want to get rid of the experience ship, but mm. we couldn't see or forecast how we could bring people together, yeah. especially complete strangers um, in the current times. And, you know, without knowing what was going to happen, we decided let's shift this online. Um, and we started to explore it so that it could be an off on offering for both the, you know, North America and the South Pacific mm-hmm. um, and even beyond. <laughs> and so what we've done is what we've decided to do is focus on creating uh, an online community where we bring together, you know, these, we've got um, mostly, mostly college tertiary students, um, but we also have some young professionals uh, that are joining. And the idea is, is that we just really want them to connect and allow them to um, make these contacts with people that are doing or passionate about plastic pollution from all around the country um, and the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that process, they'll learn. We want, you know, we're taking them on a deep dive into what plastic pollution is. Yeah. The, you know, from the entire life cycle of it um, and to all of the wide-reaching impacts. Um, and then we really shift to the focus on solutions and what, what that really looks like. Um, so, yeah, it just becomes a lot more discussion-based and, and virtually interactive, mm. but we're hoping that it will still be valuable to them all. And so yeah. this is going to be taking place synchronously this summer, our summer? Yeah, well, yeah. we actually start our first one tomorrow. Um, oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah, and it's every every Monday um, for Pacific time, every Tuesday for New Zealand time, um, and yeah, it goes for ten weeks, so through until August. Wow! Um, How cool! Yeah. So, like, their end products will be posted then on the website. Is that? how their work would be shared or? Uh, yeah. So this, this time round, we're not choosing any main project as a focus. Okay. Um, it's more just about their own personal learning. I yeah. got it. Very yeah. good. Cool. And so then you were about to share how teachers could get involved. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so if they're interested, www.com. Algalita, A-L-G-A-L-I-T-A dot org. Um, if you're in the South Pacific, then it's uh, backslash South Pacific. But you can also find us on Facebook, um, Algalita South Pacific, Instagram, Algalita South Pacific. Um, and, yeah, you're more than welcome to reach out directly on any of those channels. Um, and, you'll, yeah, you'll find, you'll find us. That's awesome. That sounds like such a fun program and you guys are such a cool group of people to partner with. If I were still in the classroom teaching science, I would totally jump on this opportunity. I think it would be fantastic. I love it. Yeah. So can old guys like me be part of this? Jump in and learn. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Um, I see why not. We're full. We're full this summer, though. So yeah, right. You got to put in an application. You have to be selected. So. Ah, <laughs> uh, true. True. Well, maybe I'll put in an application. And just go work in New yeah. Zealand. There you go. <laughs> um, one of the things that we that we like to do is is end up and 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 ask all of our all of our new new friends what their call to action is. And so if there's, if there's one lasting in, impression that you would wish to leave with all of our listeners, what would that be? Educate yourself. If you care about something, then learn more about it. That's Perfect. probably the quickest call to action. We've had. I love it. It's, it's like a great hashtag too, true. you know? And it's, and it's true. Educate yeah. yourself. Yeah, going and going for the study or traditional forms of education. You know, there's so many mediums out there that have really fantastic information. You've got podcasts, you've got so much information online, you've got um, amazing people working in the spaces all over the world in every country. Um, you know, so we reach out to people, you can talk to them, you can read you can watch you can listen and um, and research and I just think where we've only got to where we are f- through educating ourselves and we're only gonna you know continue to um address this by further education and the more people that become better informed the more solid change we're gonna see yeah so very it. well said. Thank you, Raquel. Fr- Fred forced you into elaborating on your very critically yeah. worded <laughs> statement, but it's great. But thank you so much for your time today, and thanks for sharing your work with us and making an impact on the students and as well as the world. So appreciate your work. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. It's thank really, you. It's really kind to think of me. <laughs>